This is Oklahoma football. All right, we're back. It is Wednesday, December 16th, and welcome to another edition of the Mainline Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Burton. Proud to be joined by Adam Jacquez on an early national signing day where OU looks like they are wrapping up another top 10 signing class on the eve of a pretty big game on Saturday. Um, Adam, we, it's it's taken a long time. I never thought we would actually get to this point with all the craziness of a global pandemic, COVID going on, the impact it's had on the sport, sports world, but I'm glad I can finally say this. It is Big 12 Championship Week. Yeah, no kidding. It sounded like early in the year that we would never get to this game and the sky was falling, but over time, it seems to play out the same way it does almost every single year, OU playing for a Big 12 Championship. So I'm just as nervous about this one as I am pretty much any other game. I don't think Iowa State's any pushover, so... Uh, we should be in for a dogfight. Yeah, couldn't agree with you more. Like I said, uh, number 10 ranked Oklahoma traveling uh, down to Dallas on Saturday, 11 a.m. inside AT&T Stadium to take on Matt Campbell and the newly ranked number six Iowa State Cyclones. Uh, Adam, we've seen some really good football played in this game since the conference brought back the championship three years ago. Uh, OU, of course, dominated TCU during Baker's, Baker's final year. They won the rematch against Texas in a game that ultimately, I think, ended up locking up the Heisman Trophy for Kyler Murray. And, of course, last year it took pretty much everything OU had to knock off Matt Rule and that really good Baylor team. But, Adam, as we've as we've gone through the year, as we've studied and we've, we've watched these two teams play all year long, coming into this weekend, this is the most excited I've been for a Big 12 championship in, in a long, long time. Yeah, I would agree. It doesn't – I mean, there's not really a big playoff implication necessarily, at least for OU – I think Iowa State is in decent shape if if they actually win and maybe get one upset, but uh, not for OU. It feels like we're we're very distantly on the outside looking in, but nevertheless, I think it means a lot for both programs and how they finish out this season and where they go into the 2021 season. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. And like we said, college football playoff rankings, the new set of them came out last night. Really nothing too much, you know, nothing too crazy. Everything was kind of consistent, especially right there in that top five. Um, just a couple takeaways that I had from it, Adam. I am i don't really know what I'm getting from this college football playoff committee this year. I mean, Florida lost at home against a 4-5 and five LSU team that was starting their third string quarterback. They were missing over 20 players due to COVID. And the committee only drops them one spot. And you look at a team like Cincinnati that they're undefeated and they're still sitting behind three two-loss teams. The committee dropped them one spot. And really, the, the thing that they had to say was it's because they haven't played a game in a month. Well, if you're going to judge, if you're going to you know drop Cincinnati by one spot, look at Ohio State. Ohio State hasn't played a game in three weeks. And Cincinnati has played three more games than the Buckeyes have. So the, that really isn't consistent at all. But, Adam, it, it, seems, like, it seems like different teams are judged by – different metrics and we're seeing some teams penalized while others aren't you know while others aren't penalized for the exact same thing and nothing this year's committee does is based on logical thinking and we've seen that the last few weeks with how they're judging and ranking these teams and but at the end of the day Adam I mean I, I think that the top four it's been all year Alabama Notre Dame Clemson Ohio State that top four is what it's going to be when the final rankings come out on Sunday I, I feel like I think I'm pretty confident on it but Adam, I don't expect this to happen, but I'm rooting so hard for Northwestern to beat Ohio State on Saturday because 
for nothing simply other than to be entertained, I want the chaos late on Saturday night. Uh, I want to see the media guys and Twitter go up in flames over who should get that fourth spot. Is it a one-loss Texas A&M who didn't win their division, got their ass handed to them by five touchdowns against Alabama? Do you look at does the committee look at a two-loss Big 12 champion like Iowa State uh, or Oklahoma? Maybe they give it to a six-win undefeated USC team, or maybe they just throw everything out the window and finally uh, give a Group of Five team a chance and and let Cincinnati in. But again, I don't think any of that's going to happen because I think chances are pretty high that all of the favorites are going to win this weekend. But 2020 has been a crazy year, dude. So uh, who's to say we won't have some fireworks this weekend? Yeah, it's been pretty frustrating, and normally in pretty much any other year, I think having the constant discussion week in, week out about who should be ranked where and who's played who and strength of schedule, that's one of the things that makes college football great in my opinion, and one of the reasons why I'm not really for expanding the playoff much at all, but uh, in a year like this where everything is so imbalanced with some teams playing four or five games, six games, some teams playing 10, differences in the amount of conference games. It's not really working itself out. I mean, really, this past week was the first time we had a big-time upset, maybe even since OU lost to Kansas State way back in week two, but uh, where, where LSU, I guess, lost to, to Florida here this past Saturday, and that turned out it really didn't matter much. Uh, if anything, it told Cincinnati, hey, why even bother playing football? which is frustrating for, for a team like that because I think that Cincinnati can play on the field with pretty much everyone not named Alabama or Clemson. So that's, that's pretty unfair to them, and hopefully they can make a big statement and put themselves in that discussion uh, you know, for, uh, for the final playoff rankings. But, but, yeah, it's been a strange year for sure. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And like you said, in a year where you know you've got a global pandemic going on, all things are not considered equal. You don't have teams playing the same amount of games, and it kind of seems like in this situation, the uh, the the playoff committee they're 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 evaluating these teams with a lot of with a lot of inconsistency. Whether it's the eye test or whether it's the strength of schedule, who did you lose to? Who's your best win against? How many top twenty five wins do you have? It just seems like there's a lot of inconsistencies, and even though. We're in a year where there, everything is not equal. Everybody's not playing the same amount of games. I think the committee's fallen into a trap where, since all things are considered equal, we're just going to put who we think are the four best teams. Whether it's it's not necessarily based on the results that are happening on the field, but we're just going to put who we think are the four most talented teams in. So, like I said, I, I fully expect. I, I don't think anything's going to change. Um, this weekend we'll dive into that here in just a little bit. Uh, but dude, let's let's dive into the Big Twelve championship game. I mean, like like I said, OU. Um, Iowa State, uh, Oklahoma, again, going for their sixth straight conference championship. Iowa State, this is a huge, huge season, huge opportunity for Matt Campbell in this program. And kind of one of the things that we were talking about and kind of putting this podcast together was, you know, what's the impact of this game for both programs? What does this game mean for for Oklahoma or a team like Iowa State? And, you know, dude, we'll just we'll just start with Oklahoma. You know, what what, what is this what is this Big 12 championship? What does this game mean for a program like Oklahoma who – National title hopes are, are are out the window right now, but you still have a chance to win your conference championship for a sixth consecutive year. Yeah, I will say, you know, definitely it's the next step to putting yourself in that uh, that upper echelon, the next tier of teams that they really want to be considered in, the Alabama, the Clemson, the Ohio States, those, those heavyweights that are always in the playoffs. And I feel like 
in a lot of people's minds, OU already is in that group, but I definitely think there's a separation between those top three and the next three teams or so. And so I think winning the conference uh, for a sixth time in a row really puts themselves in that position. It continues the dominance uh, and tradition inside the conference. And we've talked in previous weeks, I'm not a huge believer that there is such a thing as creating momentum going into the next year based off of, you know, a bowl win or whatever. But I, I definitely think that, you know, it can't hurt. So why not go for it? So I think it does mean a lot for OU. And I think if OU can win this sixth Big 12 championship game, then they're looking really in good shape to win seven, eight, and nine as well with all the talent that we have coming in. Yeah, I mean, we've spoke on it time and time again. We knew coming into 2020 with what OU had to replace on both sides of the football, especially at the quarterback position where you're starting your first, you know, essentially you're a redshirt freshman, you're the first high school quarterback that Lincoln Riley's committed and, and not one from the transfer portal. Uh, but th- this is a huge game for OU because every single year Oklahoma's got two goals win the Big 12 championship, and ultimately put yourself in a position where you can compete for a national title. Obviously, the two early season losses to Kansas State and Iowa State up in Ames, that derailed the Sooners' national title hopes. But on Saturday, you still have a chance to go out and win a conference championship. You still have a chance to win the to win it six in a row and send another senior class out with four rings on their fingers. But, you know, uh, Oklahoma, they've been in this situation. They know what to expect. I think that... Uh, this is a huge opportunity for Iowa State on Saturday. I mean, we're talking about a team that's playing in its first Big 12 championship game and a chance for this program to win its first conference title since 1912. you got to go all the way back to 1912. So think about that, Adam. I mean, Iowa State has an opportunity on Saturday to win a championship and hang a banner in Ames, something that their football program hasn't been able to do in over 100 years. And this game is important for Iowa State because a win solidifies even more what Matt Campbell has done in his five seasons building this program. I don't think Matt Campbell gets enough credit for what he, for what he's done over the last four or five years. I think he's an outstanding football coach. He's somebody that we've talked about on this podcast recently quite a bit as being a candidate that the likes of Texas, the likes of Michigan, and many other programs, I think would be foolish not to give this guy a call to come to come elevate their program and kind of get them back on track. But you look at this Iowa State roster, Adam, and I mean, over 90% of their roster, they're three-star guys, many of which didn't get the offers from Oklahoma or Texas, um, kind of, you know, national signing days today. They're recruiting classes under Campbell over the last four or five years. They're consistently ranked in the upper 40s, upper 50s, and I think that just shows how impressive what Campbell and his staff have been able to do, and not just evaluating talent, but developing them once they set foot on campus. And it kind of ties hand-in-hand with what Brees Hall said after they beat Texas down in Austin a few weeks ago. It's a five-star culture versus five-star talent. And all the success that Iowa State has had these past few years has gotten them in a position where they've got NFL caliber guys on both sides of the football. And we'll dive into those here a little bit. We'll dive into those here in a little while. But it's just a huge opportunity for Iowa State on Saturday. And it's a game, Adam, that after talking to some Iowa State fans, they feel pretty confident that the Cyclones are going to go uh, not just win, but I've talked to some that think they're going to put it on OU this weekend. So, Adam, do you agree with them in thinking that Iowa State should feel really good about their chances on Saturday, or is it some sort of false hope at this point? I wouldn't be shocked if Iowa State came in and, and beat up OU a little bit, mainly because of what the last time we saw OU against Baylor not looking too great. 
Um, and, you know, Iowa State is so well coached, has hungry players. Um, but I, I do think, you know, OU has a strong culture as well. And you touched on how much this means to their team and their fan base. And uh, they've, they've had the rug pulled out from under them so many times where it felt like they were going to get a division title and they couldn't win the Big 12 North. Uh, and they, they really couldn't get over the hump at all. And, uh, and even going back to, you know, the last conference championship that they had in 1912, their conference record was 2-0. and So they really have had nothing like the success that they've had this year. And it's always been a talking point of, well, can they, can they win the big game when it matters? And, you know, against OU, they did that. They did that against K-State. That was a, a fairly big game back when it was played earlier this year. Um, you know, they did, they did lose on the road to Oklahoma state, but other than that, they've pretty much you know, beat up on everybody in the conference. So they're going to be a very tough out. I think it's very similar to, you know, the outlook that we had going into the Baylor big 12 championship game last year, where uh, we're going to be in a dogfight. They're going to give everything they have to, and, and all their arsenal of, you know, top plays, trick plays, whatever they have up their sleeves. And they're going to be, they're going to try to be a bully in this game. So OU has to be ready to, to take on everything that they have and weather that storm. I think that's one of the most impressive things about this Iowa State football team under under Matt Campbell is it doesn't matter who Campbell throws out there. They get they play they play, you know, 110% every single snap and you know w- when you're put into a situation when you're facing a team like Texas or a team like Oklahoma, you know, Effort can can negate talent, you know, not not all the time, but if you've got a team that's going out there, all 11 men on that side of the ball, you know, playing as one, you know, busting their ass and giving everything that they got, that can negate a couple things. And I think there's a few I think there's a few reasons why Iowa State fans have a ton of confidence going into Saturday. And for me, it like I said, it starts with Matt Campbell and how he's coached and prepared his team when it's time to play Oklahoma every year. I mean, go, going back and looking at it, you know, Campbell, he's 2-2 two and two against Lincoln Riley. Both of those losses are, you know, by a combined four points. And Campbell and his staff are probably the best in the Big 12 when it comes to in-game adjustments, especially coming out of halftime. One of my Iowa State buddies, I think I sent this to you, Adam, he sent me this tweet the other day that James Pollard, who's the son of the Iowa State Athletic Director, um, he kind of did some research, crunched some numbers, and it's a, it's a pretty amazing stat. Under Matt Campbell, Oklahoma has outscored Iowa State 128 to 67 in the first half. But Iowa State has outscored OU 100 to 46 in the second half, which is a pretty remarkable stat. So that tells me that Iowa State coming into the game, Iowa State's you know, they're okay with using the first few possessions no matter the outcome to kind of, you know, find out what their opponents are trying to do and then Campbell and his staff do a tremendous job of making those key adjustments on both sides of the ball to put their team in a position where they can beat you for the remainder of the game. And honestly, Adam, other than you know, other than Campbell's coaching ability and the handful of NFL guys that he's got on this team right now, here's the biggest reason why I think Iowa State has a chance to knock off Oklahoma. It's their mindset and the belief. It's the culture that, that Campbell has instilled within those guys inside that program. They don't fear Oklahoma. Adam, you, you can remember back in the early and mid-2000s what it was like for opponents. I mean, w- when a team touched down in Norman or, or saw the OU buses rolling into town, whatever team OU was playing that Saturday, they knew they were ba- about to get their ass kicked. I mean, they knew OU had the better athletes, they had the superior team, and they were probably about to get run out of the stadium, kind of similar to what Alabama does now. But with all the success under Matt Campbell and winning the first matchup back on October 3rd this year, 
they're going to take the field on Saturday knowing they can win this game. Now, whether or not that actually happens, I know they're wearing the black uniforms. They are undefeated in that. But it's going to be so much fun to watch to watch this game for, b- between two teams that, honestly, they're, they're playing their best football right now, and they, they look a lot different and a lot better than that first matchup that we that we saw in Ames uh, two months ago. Yeah, I went back and looked at some numbers for rematches because the common you know saying is, well, it's hard to beat a team twice in the same year. And if you look back, I found someone that had done the research on this. I didn't want to put in all the time and effort to do this, but uh, they had done research on rematches within the same season up through the year 2017. And I think the, the record was 50-50. Um, and then I know uh, our friend Eddie uh, Radosevich had done some research basically on OU's rematches within the same season since about 2000. And OU has a very good record, uh, much better than 50-50 uh, on that. And if you just look at you know the Big 12 championship games the past uh, three years, OU's uh, beaten the team the second time. Uh, in the case of TCU and Baylor, beating them twice in the same year. So I do think that in the second game, that's probably where the talent advantage is going to have a little bit more of an advantage. Uh, so I, I hope that holds true. But again, uh, Iowa State, as you mentioned, they're, they were good when we played them the first time. I think they've improved and even gotten better as the year's gone on. Uh, where Same with OU, but I think Iowa State's put themselves in a position where they're going to be a very, very difficult out on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be a fight on on Saturday. And, and Iowa State, I mean, they're, they're playing their best football right now. You know, they've, you know, progressively, they've gotten better each and every week as the season's gone on. And and honestly, Adam, when you look at the matchups, when you look at the, the rosters, you know, uh, the 11 versus 11 on both sides of the football, it's a really, really tight. Uh, it's a really, really tight talent. I don't know if talent gap is the right word to use, but both teams are going to be putting some really good football players and, and good athletes on there. So I don't think that OU is going to be able to just roll in here and win based on talent alone. They are going to have to play well. They're going to have to be sound fundamentally. The Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, the game plan that they're going to put together. Uh, I mean, it's going to, OU is going to have to go in there and execute and play extremely well. But um, Adam, just kind of touching on now, we'll kind of you know dive into the numbers here when Iowa State's got the football on Saturday. Since since Iowa State lost to OSU a few you know couple months or what was I guess months six weeks ago, Iowa State's won five in a row. And during the this five game winning streak that Iowa State's on, Brock Purdy he's completing over seventy two percent of his passes, and honestly he's playing the best football of his career right now. We know about Brock Purdy, we know about Charlie Kolar, Xavier Hutchin. He's playing extremely well right now, but to me it starts with Brees Hall. Brees Hall is having a tremendous year right now, and it's absurd that I, I think it's absurd that he's not getting more talk when it comes to the Heisman Trophy. He's run for almost fourteen hundred yards and seventeen touchdowns, and he's only played ten games. So, Adam, for a guy coming into this matchup that's averaging over six yards a carry, that's been as productive as Brees Hall has been the entire season, do you think it's possible for OU to shut down Brees Hall on Saturday? It's going to be very tough, but I will say the OU defense has been its best against the running game, especially through the latter half of the year. And so it'll be it'll be difficult. I mean, he's a very, very hard guy to tackle, Looking back at some of the the highlights from the October 3rd matchup, there were so many arm tackle attempts, and they were attempts because they could not bring him down arm tackling. It was a really, really bad display of of fundamentals on the field that night. And 
Uh, we saw OU give up, I think, five plays of 30 yards or more against Iowa State about a week after doing the same against Kansas State in a loss in Norman. So I'm curious to see if OU is able to limit some of those bigger plays, you know, get him down uh, early and not let him run through a, a ton of missed tackles. Looking back at, you know, some of the previous games that OU's played recently against Baylor, only one play of over 30 yards, which was a passing play. And then against Oklahoma State, zero plays of 30 yards or more. So I think the the ingredients are there. If OU can play sound football and uh, and really maintain their tackling fundamentals, I think they can slow him down. I don't think they'll be able to completely shut him down. The only way I could see that happening is is maybe by you know the second quarter OU's up 28 nothing or something like that, and they completely have to abandon the running game. But um, it's it's going to be tough to slow him down for sure. That's definitely one of the things that I'm excited and eager to see on Saturday is not only how how is Iowa State going to attack a, a much improved OU defense over these last five six games, but also what's Alex Grinch's game plan going to be? How's he going to you know what's his scheme going to be to try to you know slow down Brees Hall? I think the Brees Hall you know, like we alluded to, he's been the best best running back in college football right now. Now, I don't necessarily think he's going to be the first running back taken off the board. I think he'll still have a couple guys ahead of him. But when you look at the production of him, he, he's been the best running back in college football right now. He should be a shoe-in for the Doak Walker Award. But, um, Adam, Iowa State is, a, is predominantly a zone-running team. They do it very well, not just because they've got an NFL caliber back in Brees Hall, but they've got a very good offensive line that has gelled throughout the latter part of this season. They're playing their best football right now, no doubt about it. But what makes me feel better about this game as an OU fan is that, like you alluded to, OU Oklahoma rush defense is fourth in the country right now. They're allowing just 88 yards a game. They're the number one ranked rushing defense since the return of Ronnie Perkins in the last three weeks. And Iowa State knows how talented OU's front seven is. Just like us, they can see the strides the Sooners have made now almost two full years you know, under Alex Grinch. And with that being the case, Iowa State's got their work cut out for them on offense. But I think there's some things they can do against that Oklahoma defense that can you know, kind of put them in, in better situations where they can have some success. And first, Iowa State does a really good job of this. First, I think it starts before the ball is even snapped. Uh, Iowa State, they're, they're going to do a ton of pre-snap motions to help Brock Purdy identify coverages, incoming blitzes, whether that's uh, th- uh, running, a running, running a receiver across the formation, maybe motioning Brees Hall out into the slot, or even what Iowa State likes to do a ton is resetting the formation by motioning multiple tight ends at a time. So, Adam, I think one of the best ways to attack a really aggressive defense like what OU has been putting out on the field over the last you know three, four weeks is putting them in situations where before the play, you make the defenders have to think. You try to cause some confusion, some indecisiveness, and see if you can take advantage of something like that. And uh, I'm very curious to see if that's something that Iowa State can execute on Saturday. Yeah, I will say the one equalizer to you know, all the fancy – uh, eye dressing of motions and shifting and things like that is you have a defensive line that can win one-on-one matchups, especially with a guy like Perrion Winfrey demanding double teams on a lot of snaps, you know, Ronnie Perkins, Isaiah Thomas, and and all the rest of the guys that have really showed out this year on the defensive line and have only gotten stronger and stronger as the season's gone on. Uh, those guys being able to win one-on-one matchups, whether it's in the run game or in pass rushing, um, that can really make a big difference. And 
in the first matchup, we only saw one sack uh, in that entire game, which was by Isaiah Thomas. Turned out to be a really big play that you know caused a fumble. But uh, I I would expect, and I I would say it's a disappointment if we don't get more than uh, one sack uh, in in Dallas this Saturday. I'm going to take the over on that one, just because I think I think Oklahoma's defensive line right now, much like much like Iowa State's defensive line, I think that they're one of the elite groups in the country right now, not just in the Big Twelve, um, but again, very very excited to see what they're going to be able to do now at full strength. Obviously, they did not have Ronnie Perkins during that first matchup up in Ames, who in, in incorporating a guy back into your starting or starting lineup that is as talented and as productive as a guy like Ronnie Perkins, you know, Iowa State's going have to, to have to do some things to where they're, they're going to have to, you know, I don't think they're going to be able to block him one-on-one. I don't think that their their tackles are good enough right now. Not saying that they're not good football players, but I think I think it's going to be a mismatch out on the edge for Ronnie Perkins. So be eager, eager to see, are they going to double-team him? Are they going to use a running back or a tight end to chip him, try to pull him away, you know, kind of keep him off Brock Purdy? And, uh, and in return, that's only going to allow for some more, you know, one-on-one matchups on the other side with Perry on Winfrey, with Isaiah Thomas. Nick Benito, I think, has a chance to have a uh, a huge impact in this game coming off the edge on the other side. So, uh, very very excited to see this defensive line perform and basically see how the secondary is going to hold up. Yeah, I agree. The secondary got uh, torched uh, pretty bad in the first matchup. Multiple guys. And we saw that through missed tackles. We saw that through uh, several penalties, dropped interceptions. So the opportunities were there for them to make plays. And I guess the the positive way to look at that is they did start making those plays uh, starting the next week against Texas. And they've been making plays throughout the, the rest of the year. We've seen a lot more Trey Norwood. We've seen a lot more Woody Washington. And, uh, and I would say Pat Fields has played better in the sense that I haven't noticed him much recently, so uh, <laughs> I, I expect more from them as well. And I do think that you know Charlie Kolar and, and the tight ends that they have are, are really great players. Uh, I think Kolar, I don't think he's had more than 100 yards except for, for one game this year. So uh, while he, he seems dangerous because he's so much taller than Buki, I, I, he's a sacrifice I can live with. You know, If you're stopping Brees Hall in the running game, I'll live with with Kohler having a couple catches, you know, for seventy five yards. I won't worry too much about that. Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, you've got to stop the run. You know, you've got to you've got to minimize the impact that Brees Hall can have on a game, and it, it's. It's easier said than done for OU trying to slow down Charlie Kolar. He's a hell of a player. He's an All-American. I think he's got a bright future in the NFL, especially when you see or when you see what NFL teams are doing uh, with guys at the tight end position. Guys like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, uh, the the impact that they're having on their football teams and uh, the the production that they're getting at that position. And honestly, Adam, OU hasn't had an answer for Charlie Kolar the past two years. I mean, typically when you're trying to defend an elite tight end, you're going to put a safety or a linebacker over the top of him. But in most situations, Iowa State almost welcomes that. Iowa State's okay with you doing that because it then gives them a numbers advantage in the running game because you've got one less guy in the box uh, to, to account for. So I think the biggest problem that OU's had is that, one, Charlie Kohler's six foot six, And in the first matchup, OU was asking a five foot nine. Uh, Brendan Radley Hiles to cover him from a nickel spot. And then depending on the formation that Iowa State was in, they had Pat Fields covering him over the top. And I mean, but Pat Fields is five foot ten. So Charlie's looking at a seven to eight inch height advantage. Adam, if if 
Adam, if they trot Buki out there in the opening series, and Adam, we know they're going to. We know they're going to. 44 is going to be out there first snap on defense on Saturday. Brock Purdy better target him 10, 15, 20 times throughout that game. But going into Saturday, I expect OU to make some adjustments with their personnel. We've already seen it over the past few weeks. We've seen some bigger body guys like a Jeremiah Cradell, Trey Norwood, even Robert Barnes, I thought played outstanding. Uh, in the game against Baylor, you know, he was recruited in as a uh, as a safety, got converted into a linebacker, and then obviously due to COVID, had to switch back into the secondary. But I, I thought that they they played especially well the past four or five games. So I'd expect to see Alex Grinch mix up his rotation early on, and then ride the hot hand in terms of who's playing Kolar and those other tight ends the best down the field. Yeah, I kind of look at it as I I know they're going to roll Buki out there and. He'll be right there step for step with him in a lot of cases, but he'll just be too small to do anything. And if he tries to do something, he'll probably get a flag thrown on him because in the Big 12, you're not allowed to breathe near a receiver. So I, I just don't have I, I don't have a lot of faith in that in that uh, matchup there. And honestly, I'm willing to live with the results of that. If we can stop Brees Hall and we're we're committing more guys to the box, let Brock Purdy try to complete those passes. He's going to miss some of them, I think. Uh, even with as big as Kolar is and the catch radius he has, I'd say you know dare him to to you know win the game by throwing it to Kolar uh, the entire game without any running game support and especially with the guys that we have on the defensive line, uh, he's not going to be able to get all those passes off perfectly the way he wants to. He may not uh, get them off at all. So that's a result I think that you kind of just live with. And you know if Buki plays the game of his life or if the coaches actually throw someone else in there to to try to cover him. You know, great. You know, we'll we'll take that. But I just don't think that Boogie's going to be spending much time on the sidelines. Well, when in doubt, jump on the guy's back. Try to get a flag. Don't give up a big play downfield. So we've we've seen that time and time again. Uh, but but I I think that too many other guys have gotten experience. Too many other you know bigger guys, six foot, six foot one, two guys have they're playing too well. I would hope that Alex Grinch would trot out a bigger body to try to account for the physicality and the length of Charlie Kolar. Uh, but like you said, I mean, it, you stop the run, you you minimize the impact that Brees Hall can have on a game. You force Iowa State into some obvious passing downs, get him into a second and ten, third and seven. Uh, I, I think that that just ramps the pressure up on on Brock Purdy uh, even more. And you give Nick Benito, Ronnie Perkins, and the rest of that front seven the ability to pin their ears back and put some pressure on him. I Brock Purdy, he's going to have to show it to me. I know he's playing really good football right now, but if if uh, if if OU is going to lose the game on Saturday, I don't want it to be because Brees Hall runs wild. I want it to be because Brock Purdy actually made the throws and beat them over the top. Um, but uh, again, excited to see it. And and Adam, I think that's a perfect segue in here to our, kind of our main question on this topic when Iowa State's got the football. For OU to put together another solid defensive performance and finish the year out on a strong note. What player or players on Saturday do you think need to make a huge impact for Oklahoma when when Iowa State has got the ball on offense? Yeah, I I think DeLaren Turner yells the type of guy. I know he's been rotating a lot more with Trey Norwood kind of coming on as the season is, is winding down, but I think he's the best safety OU has in run support. So I think a lot's going to be asked of him to you know, come up to the line of scrimmage and try to stop Brees Hall. But in addition to that, he'll be you know helping out in some of the double coverage situations with all the tight ends that Iowa State has as well. So I think he's a key piece that is going to be trying to stop a lot of different things that Iowa State does. 
Yeah, c- completely agree with you. Honestly, I, I he was probably the last person that I thought that you would go with out of the secondary just because he probably has been the most consistent player outside of Trey Brown. Uh, but DTY, he's played f- fantastic. He's a sure tackler um, uh, outside of the Iowa State game earlier this year. So he, he's going to have to come up uh, come up and play huge this weekend. Um, first guy for me that I, that I went with in this one, I went with Nick Benito just simply because of the fact that so much attention is going to be paid to blocking Ronnie Perkins. You give one-on-one chances, uh, you, you, that's going to give uh, Benito one-on-one chances for him you know, to, to rush the pass or get after Brock Purdy, you know, uh, get some sacks, have some tackles for loss. So I think this sets, this sets up well for Nick Benito to, you know, make his mark, have an impact on this game, maybe force a fumble, force Brock Purdy into an errant throw, or OU can get a turnover and kind of flip the game uh, and give them some momentum. So have you, have you got any more or uh, sticking with DTY on defense? DTY is my guy. Uh, he, he's been consistent. Uh, in the secondary, which kind of means, you know, he hasn't done a whole lot of negative things. Uh, that's kind of the standard that we've, we've been measuring them by the past couple of years. And I think the defensive line has really helped this secondary as a whole out as the season's gone on, but would love to see him make some plays. I, I, you know, a pick or force a fumble. Um, so hopefully we can get a big game out of him. Yeah, absolutely. And like you said, the, uh, the defensive line has been the, the strong suit of this entire football team. And when you've got a defensive line that can be as disruptive as they have been, you know, the last four or five weeks, that can hide some deficiencies, uh, that, that you have in the, in a, in a weaker, weaker secondary, as opposed to what OU would like to have at, at all those positions. But I'm excited to watch this game because like we said, OU's defense has been so dominant in the back half of this season, but I think this is the week that we find out if OU's secondary is still a liability. Iowa State's going to try to attack this secondary as much as possible, especially when their receivers and tight ends have a massive size advantage compared to OU's DBs. We saw the graphic that the TV guys put up during the first matchup uh, up in Ames was I, I think that the average receiver height for Iowa State was six foot four. And the average size of OU's de- defensive backs was five foot ten, so um, that was a matchup that they were able to exploit. And uh, again, OU's nickelback position, kind of rotating in some of those bigger guys like a Woody Washington or a Jeremiah Cradell. Get Trey Norwood, who I think's been OU's best DB uh, this this football season right now. The guy he's got, he's, it's like he's got a magnet on his hands for the football. So very excited to see what the secondary is going to be able to do. How. Alex Grinch tries to account for the for the uh, different formations, the different things that Iowa State likes to do with the tight end position. But uh, I, I think that that's going to be that, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch. And like we've said over the past month, Adam, I can't wait to watch this OU defense take the field and, and play some football. Yeah, I agree 100. percent We've seen so many good things happen. I'm I'm starting to believe that. Um, it's a good thing when our defense is out there, which is kind of a dangerous proposition to live on. But I'm. I agree. I'm not so sure that, again, I don't think that that game was ever in doubt, but uh, OU Baylor, I mean, that could have been a lot more interesting if OU would have had the same defense uh, as those teams back in like the 2017, 2018 uh, oh, years yeah. did. So, but uh, again, let's let's switch it over here to the other side when OU's got the football. Um, coming into this game, OU was a, it was a very underwhelming performance. It was probably the offense's worst performance in a game since Lincoln Riley has has been the play caller here in Norman. And it starts up front, dude. I think the most important matchup in this game for OU is their offensive line versus Iowa State's defensive line. Iowa State has the second-best defensive line in the Big 12, in my opinion, behind OU. They've got some studs up front. I mean, Jaquan Bailey, 6'5", 
seven sacks, 13 tackles for loss on the year. He's the captain of that defense. And Will McDonald, man, I mean, leading the Big 12, eight and a half sacks on the year. Iowa State choosing him primarily at the defensive end spot to rush the quarterback. Well, we've also seen him, you know, make some plays in pass coverage. I think it's going to be critical for Oklahoma's tackles. We'll see Eric Swenson, Adrian Ely on both sides. I think it's going to be critical for them to hold up in pass protection against against those guys, especially if the Cyclones get OU into obvious pass situations and OU can't run the football. Um, but just kind of what are you going to be looking for um, when, when OU's offense takes the field? Are you um, you excited? Are you, are you encouraged with with what you think that OU can be able to can be able to do uh, against this Iowa State defense, or is there some cause for concern? You know, if I hadn't seen the offense against Baylor, I would probably be very excited and think we're going to score forty points. But the way we looked against Baylor, we looked sluggish. We couldn't run the ball. We couldn't complete passes. Um, you know, it was the first time we had scored less than 28 points since I think before Lincoln Riley came to town. So it was a, it was an odd experience. So the first thing I'm going to look for is, are we able to run the ball uh, considerably better than what we did back in October? And Ramondre Stevenson being a part of this matchup, you'd like to think, yeah, that's going to make a difference, especially down at the goal line where, you know, the opening drive uh, in the first matchup, we stalled out inside the five yard line and ended up kicking a field goal. Uh, so I'd love to see some of those convert a lot faster, especially those third and shorts, second and shorts that we we might encounter as well. And I do think it is important to get off to a big start. And part of that is not stalling out inside the five-yard line. Um, as you mentioned earlier, OU really has a big scoring margin difference uh, in the first half of these games versus the second half of these matchups with Iowa State. So uh, the more we can turn those field goal opportunities into touchdowns, that's going to make a huge difference in, in you know the amount of points that Iowa State has to come back from if we're able to get out to a bigger lead like that. Yeah, I mean, uh, first and foremost, it's kind of cliche, but every single game, you know, the the team that runs the football the best nine times out of ten, that's the team that's going to win. And kind of like what we saw in the first matchup up in Ames, that first possession, OU went right down to the field, had the big pass play to Charleston Rambo to set up first and goal inside the ten yard line, and. Three straight, three straight plays. Oh, you could not get it across the goal line. That's where I think what we were referring to with having Ronnie Perkins back. The difference that that's made. Getting Ramondre Stevenson, two hundred forty-seven pound running back, back into the starting lineup. I'm, I'd be hard pressed to find any team in America that's going to stop Ramondre Stevenson for from uh, in goal to goal situations two, three times at the goal line. So I think him coming back into the lineup. I, I think that he's going to have a, g- a good impact on this game. I, I think that OU, you need to get around that 150, 175 uh, target mark for rushing yards. I think that if OU is able to do that, they can be successful and win this game on Saturday. I, I want to see OU. I want to see OU get the H back position to continue to get them involved in the throw game. Jeremiah Hall had a touchdown catch and run against Oklahoma State. We saw the same thing from Mikey Henderson. Two different players at the same position in terms of the caliber of athlete. One's more of a speed guy. One's more of a big, stocky, you know, blocker type thing, but can make some plays with the ball in his hand. So, um, Adam, quick question for you. It, it seems like watching this Iowa State football team every time they match up against OU. This Iowa State defense gives OU fit. So why does OU? Why do you think OU has more trouble against Iowa State than the other teams in the Big Twelve, especially against a team like Texas, who they've got so many four and five star guys on the field and on the sideline, but Iowa State's the one that gives them the most fits. 
Yeah, Iowa State really, we've talked in the past about their umbrella coverage and how they really don't give you much of a big play opportunity. And you truly have to dink and dunk it down the field and be able to run the ball really effectively. And so you're not going to get very many four play drives, minute and 15 off the clock. It's going to have to be eight, nine, 10 plays in a drive to, to get a score. And really, you know, they have some really solid players. They've always had great linebackers at Iowa State. And so they're really just saying, hey, we don't think you can go nine plays without making a mistake. And that's held true. Uh, we've seen some turnovers against Iowa State in the past. Uh, we've seen some drives really stall out because, you know, they're, they're just sitting back, you know, covering everybody uh, in space and, you know, containing the quarterback as well. So, it's it, you have to play a patient game. They're going to knock you off. They're going to knock OU off their rhythm a little bit. And so, can Spencer Rattler show patience and take what the defense is giving him in every play? I couldn't have said that any better myself. I mean, Iowa State—they're very multiple in their front. That's given OU's offensive line fits and has really hurt our ability to run the football in in the last three or four matchups against Iowa State. But like you said, Iowa State, it's a rush three drop eight defense that likes to keep everything in front of them. They know that if they don't give up the big play, then they'll take their chances of trying to get you to make a mistake during an eight, nine, ten play drive. And Iowa State's defense, they they do a great job of disguising their looks before the snap and then rotating into something completely different once the quarterback snaps the ball. And that was something that gave Spencer Rattler some trouble in the second half of the last game up in Ames. And I think that they'll look to do some of those same things again to try to confuse uh, Rattler on Saturday. But, uh, again, two, two players that I want to make sure that OU fans are aware of. It's not just Jaquan Bailey on the defensive line. It's not Will McDonald coming off the edge. I think that Iowa State's two best defensive players that don't get enough credit, one is their starting linebacker, Mike Rose. He's one of the best defenders in the Big 12. He's definitely going to be first-team all-conference. When you look at, when you think about the the elite talent uh, of defenders in this conference, it's Ronnie Perkins, it's Jaquan Bailey, it's uh, it's Joseph Osai up at Texas. Mike Mike Rose, he fits into this category. He's that good. He's le- he leads the team in tackles. So Oklahoma fans, make sure you keep an eye on 23 for Iowa State because I've got a feeling he'll be flying around making a ton of plays on Saturday. And then moving into the back end of this Iowa State defense at the free safety position, uh, Greg Eisworth, redshirt senior out of Grand Perry who – OU offered and wanted, but he ultimately committed to Ole Miss, ended up transferring, played a uh, little bit of time at Trinity Valley Community College down there in East Texas. Shout out East Texas 903. And then finally ended up transferring to Iowa State. And he, he's the heart and soul of John Heacock's defense. And Spencer Rattler, he's gonna have to keep he's gonna have to uh he's gonna have to account for him on every single play because they do a lot with Eisworth, lining him up in different situations. They'll send him on a blitz, they'll drop him back in coverage. So um those are two guys I think Spencer Rattler he's gonna have to keep an eye on uh prior to every single snap on Saturday. So Adam, this this kind of leads right into the point that you were making when we talked a little bit earlier this week. Somebody somebody has to step up and make plays down the field. So for this Oklahoma team, what receiver do you want to see perform well on Saturday or Saturday or ultimately what's what receiver has got to make plays down this field and make competitive catches for Spencer Rattler on on uh, on Saturday morning? Well, it sure sounds like we're not getting Austin Stogner back for this matchup, which is tough because he was really working his way into that go-to receiver position for Spencer Rattler. Uh, we got Braden Willis back against Baylor, and he was solid. He caught a touchdown. 
but other than that, I mean, Theo Weiss led the team in receptions against Baylor. But do you know who was second in receptions that night? Against Baylor? Yeah. Uh, they led the team in receptions against Oklahoma State in the prior game. Well, if they led the team, it wasn't Marvin Mims, wasn't Drake, was it Jeremiah Hall? It was Ramondre Stevenson. Wow. And to be fair, he was tied for, for first. There was quite a few guys with three catches against Oklahoma State. But I think that just goes to show that the wide receivers have been – I know it's been a weird year and a slow start and things like that, but with five-star talent in Theo Weiss, you would like to have him be a lot more dominant than he is right now. And uh, Jaden Hazelwood, I guess you can give a pass to since he's coming off an injury, but he should be at a point now too where I feel like he should be able to make some more plays than um, you know as he gradually works his way back into the rotation as well. I think Theo Weiss has got to win the one-on-one matchups on the outside. I think that especially since the injury to Austin Stogner, he's kind of become Spencer Rattler's safety blanket over the last month of the season. But it's funny that you bring up Jane Hazelwood. I think he's kind of an X factor on Saturday. We saw the success that Austin Stogner had in the first matchup attacking uh, the Iowa State defense down the middle of the field. Jane Hazelwood, while coming off an ACL tear, uh, back earlier in the springtime, he does have a couple games under his belt. He is getting more comfortable, you know, on on that leg uh, with all the you know the different reps that he's getting in practice over the last two or three weeks. So he's a bigger, more physical, bigger body type guy. I think that you could see Jaden Hazelwood have some success in this game, particularly in the red zone. I think that he's a he he could be a matchup nightmare, especially if you've got a linebacker covering him uh, up in the slot. So uh, I, I've got Jaden Hazelwood as my impact player that I think um, I think he's got a chance to uh, kind of break out in this game, uh, show some of those five-star tools that we were so excited for coming into the year uh, prior to the injury. So Adam, to kind of round, round it up here uh, when Oklahoma's got the football, give me a guy or two. It can be at any position on the offensive side of the football what guy or two has got to play their best football game in order for OU to win on Saturday? I'll do this kind of as a combo uh, because I think it, it directly relates to each other. Uh, give me Tyrese Robinson at the guard position and Ramondre Stevenson. If, if you know, Ramondre has a big game, I don't think there's any way that OU loses this game because that means OU's able to run the ball. Completely the, agree keep the ball away from Brock Purdy and, and Brees Hall and all the weapons that Iowa State has on offense. Um, and then, of course, opens up a lot of passing options for Spencer Radler and takes the pressure off of him as well. So um, I think it starts up front, though. Uh, Robinson has been, you know, for a guy that started all of 2019, has had a pretty rough year. And so um, whether it's pass protection or in the running game, if he can just play an average game, um, you know, closer to his 2019 standards, I think we're in really great shape because that's going to open up a lot of running lanes for Ramondre to run through. And um, if he can have a big game, even if it's combined, you know, we talked about him uh, being one of the top receiving options, but uh, if he can have that short passing game, uh, complement his running game, I think OU's in great shape. I completely agree with you. I think if OU is able to find success running the football, and if Ramondre Stevenson has a big day and he racks up 100, 150 yards, I think you're. I think there's a chance that this game could get out of hand early. Um, the two players that I've got on here, obviously, you mentioned how how crucial it is for OU to be able to run the football. 
I'm going to go with the left tackle position. I trust Adrian Ely over on the right side, but for Spencer Rattler's blind side at that left tackle position, whether it is going to be Eric Swenson, maybe uh, Anton Harrison finds his way on there. When you look at the guys that Iowa State has got on the other side of the football, we we talked about them already. Jaquan Bailey, seven sacks. Will McDonald, eight and a half sacks this year. It's going to be critical for OU's offense not to be able to hold up and you know run blocking, but they've got to be able to keep Spencer Rattler upright, keep those guys off of him, keep him out of, uh, keep him protected. If if OU is able to get a really good game out of their offensive line on Saturday, I don't, I, I think that it's going to put OU in a in an outstanding position to win the football game. Last and not last but not least, my other guy that I think needs to play well, it's Marvin Mims. It's the true freshman. He's had a he's had a really good really good year. He's made some you know huge competitive plays. He's had a he's had a touchdown. Looking over here to stats, he's got seven touchdowns on the year. But more importantly, he's averaging close to seventeen yards or seventeen yards every time he catches the football. So um, seeing if he can take the top off the defense, kind of free it up. Uh, like we said, uh, Iowa State likes to rush three, drop eight. Can Marvin Mims find those gaps? Can he take the top off the defense uh, and kind of free it up for the running game? Uh, for Ramondre Stevenson. So um, we'll give our pick for this game here in a little bit, Adam, but I do want to get over here to our betting cards. Um, We're going to kind of switch it up a little bit this week. Typically, we each bring our own five games into this, what we like from the entire slate of college football. This week, championship weekend, we're going to pick six conference championship games. Um, You've got, I think you've you've about wrapped it up, dude. I mean, you're 30-19-1, 61%. I'm 27 and 21, 56%. I don't think I can catch you, but we'll see what happens. So, started off here, Adam, game one. Let's go out to the Pac 12 championship game on Friday night. USC getting three and a half against the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, I don't feel good about any of my picks this week. Uh, so, you've been saying that um, a lot lately. I, yeah, and I haven't been great lately either. So, I'm just looking at my overall record going, yeah, I'm going to finish above 50% for the year. So, I'm in the money, but. Uh, for this one, give me USC to cover the three and a half. I know they've been in a lot of dogfights this year and have had to come back and win uh, several games. They they bailed you out last week when you picked them to cover the <laughs> uh, last minute there. But um, Oregon has not finished the season very strong. They've lost to Cal. They lost to Oregon State, two of the lesser impressive teams in the Pac-12 North. And they're on a short week of preparation uh, for USC after they are filling in for Washington, who's out with COVID. So, um Give me USC to, to cover the three and a half. I like it. If I was picking a team versus the spread, I think I would go with USC. But again, bo- both of these teams, they're, I think they're kind of evenly matched. They're both averaging over 35 points a game offensively. And I don't trust either one of their defenses. They're both giving up 25 a game in the regular season. So um, over under on this is 62. We talk about the high power offenses on, on both USC and Oregon. I like the quarterbacks for both of these teams. I think that this is a I think this is a game where you're going to see a lot of points scored, not very much defense played. It is a short week for both of these teams, especially given the fact that Oregon found out that they were going to be playing USC. I think it was what late Monday afternoon or early on Tuesday. So short week of preparation, two really good offenses. I'm going to take the over on this game over 62 out in the Pac-12 championship. So Adam, going over here to the Big Ten, what do you like in the Big Ten championship? Yeah, we've got Ohio State. They're a 20-and-a-half-point favorite against Northwestern. The over-under is 57-and-a-half on this one. Uh, I'm going to take the under on that one. 
I, Northwestern has been less than inspiring on offense ever since their opening win against Maryland, where they, they went over 30 points in that one. So I don't think Northwestern is going to break 10 points, and I would be very surprised if Ohio State is able to break 40 against a very, very solid Northwestern defense. So I'm taking the under on that one. I like it. I like it. I'm going to, in this particular matchup, I'm going to go Iowa State, lay the points 20 and a, or, yeah, 20 and a half. Northwestern, they, they don't have the offensive firepower to keep up with Justin Fields, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and those boys. I think Ohio State's defense is a question mark still in the season, but Northwestern just doesn't have the athletes to expose any of those problems. And, and here's a stat for you, Adam. Ohio State is 12-6 and six against the spread as a favorite of at least 14 points with Ryan Day as the head football coach. So uh, lay the points. Give me the Buckeyes to cover 20-and-a-half in a route of the Wildcats on Saturday morning. Yeah, I could easily see that. Nice. Um, next game, uh, SEC Championship. We've got Alabama as a 17-point favorite against Florida in Atlanta. Over-under on that is 74-and-a-half. It's a super high over under, uh, but I'm going to take the over on that. I, I think there's so many offensive weapons and it, it may be a, a last, you know, final minute Florida touchdown that pushes that to the over, but I, I don't think Florida is able to slow down Alabama at all. And I think Kyle Trask will, will find some success against the, uh, the Alabama defense, especially if Kyle Pitts is able to come back and play in that matchup. I think Alabama boat racism in this game. I, I I don't think that this will be this will be within you know seventeen twenty one points. I am going to take Alabama to cover the seventeen points. Alabama's covered each of their last seven games. We know about the three headed monster that they've got with Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devontae Smith. Who, if I were picking for the Heisman Trophy, Devontae Smith, I think he's the best player in college football right now. I know that Kyle Trask and that Florida offense, I know that they've been racking up points all season long, particularly now they are going to have Kyle Pitts back for this week. He's the best tight end in football. But I think Nick Saban, he's going to have a plan to contain Kyle Pitts. You're not going to stop him entirely, but I think that uh, the, the defensive staff, Nick Saban, um, I think that he will have a plan in place to be able to slow Florida down, maybe under 28 points or so. And I don't see any way in hell that Florida stops this Alabama offense. They're clicking, they're firing on all cylinders right now. I think that this ends up being maybe like a 55-27 type game. So give me Alabama to cover 17 points on Saturday night. Yeah, <laughs> that might have been the safer one than the over-under. So. We'll see. Uh, next game, I think, was probably one of the tougher ones for me. Uh, Clemson, a 10.5-point favorite against Notre Dame in Charlotte. The over-under on that one is 61. The uh, The regular season matchup did go for about 85 total points between the two of them. But uh, on this one, I'm going to take Clemson to cover the 10.5. I think with Trevor Lawrence, I think they'll be able to push out to a fairly substantial lead on a neutral field and really force Notre Dame to have to play catch-up. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's it's a point spread that I don't I don't love. Uh, I mean, it just it kind of seems like Vegas is, is kind of thinking that Clemson's going to absolutely kill them. Um, this line has pretty much stayed right there at the 10, 10.5 spread all week long. Um, this was a game where Clemson was able to score pretty much uh, quite a few points against Notre Dame in the first matchup, even without Trevor Lawrence. So I think getting him back, I think Clemson will be able to have some success scoring on Notre Dame. 
And in the first matchup, dude, Clemson was without three or four, you know, key defensive players due to COVID and injury. So I think this is a game where Notre Dame, as long as they don't get blown out by 30 or 40 points, they are in the playoff. I think they know that. I think they know that their spot is is uh, kind of edged in stone right now. So give me Clemson, 10.5. I think that they score a touchdown late to kind of put it out of reach. Uh, so give me the Tigers to cover 10.5 against the Fighting Irish. Yeah, should be a big one in Charlotte. Uh, next one is uh, Cincinnati versus Tulsa. Cincinnati is a 14.5-point favorite. Over-under on this one is 46.5. These two teams combined give up about 24 points per game between the two of them. Um, I'm going to take the under on this one, mainly because of how good these two defenses are playing in late December in Cincinnati. So I think it's going to be a lower-scoring game. I don't really believe that the Tulsa offense is going to be able to substantially score more points than what Cincinnati's given up on the year. I, I think Cincinnati could win this game fairly big, but um, it's it's going to be tough with the amount of defensive talent that's flying around the field. So you're taking the under in this one? I am. Cool. I'm taking the over. Um, Tulsa, they're 6-1 and one against, the, against the spread this year, and even though they've got Zayvon Collins, who – um, a, lot of, a lot of talk around here. He's a finalist for the Buckus Award. I don't think that Tulsa can keep up with Cincinnati's offense for four quarters, and I don't see Tulsa holding them under 35 points. I think that um, Cincinnati, they they need some style points. They need to make one final statement. I know that, that it's probably uh, there's probably no chance that they make the playoff unless just absolute chaos ensues on championship Saturday, but I don't see Tulsa holding them under 35 points, and if you're telling me all I need is maybe two touchdowns from Tulsa, I like my odds in that matchup. So give me the over uh, in the American Championship on uh, on Saturday. So uh, over 45 and a half. Yeah, you may, may be right there. Um, that leads us into our final pick, which is the game we've been talking about all night. Oklahoma, five and a half point favorite versus Iowa State, over under of 58 and a half. I think these numbers are pretty much spot on. Uh, so this is a very, very difficult game for me to pick. Uh, I'm going to take the under mainly because I think, you know, both teams are playing a very solid defense right now. I think it's going to be a nail biter. Uh, I am going to take uh, a score of OU 30, Iowa State 24. So I, I guess I would have gone either way, but I feel a little bit better about the over under. Um, I, that, that, that makes three unders of these games that I've picked so far, so I may get burned on that, but um, I like this one to be a little bit lower scoring. 38-24 is what you – or uh, 30-24. 30-24. Yep. 30-24. Yeah. Nice, nicely done. Adam, I've I've gone back and forth with this one all week. I, I really like this Iowa State team for all the reasons we just discussed uh, throughout this show. Offensively, they can hurt you in so many ways. They've had two weeks to prepare for OU. And while I think John Heacock will have a really good game plan designed to slow down Spencer Rattler, I believe having Ramondre Stevenson in the backfield this go-around is going to make a big difference. OU's offensive line was shaky against Baylor, but I think, they, I think they're going to bounce back in a big way. Rattler's going to make a few big plays in the passing game. And like we said, you give Lincoln Riley eight, nine, ten days to prepare. Expect some new wrinkles and maybe even a trick play or two from Lincoln. And while I think OU will play well offensively, it's their defense this weekend that get, that has that has me confident in this pick. OU is already an improved defensive team earlier in the year outside of 
what, a quarter and a half uh, at the end of the Kansas State-Iowa State game. So getting Ronnie Perkins back in the starting lineup a few weeks ago has just elevated them to becoming a top top 10 defense in the country. I think our front seven slows down Brees Hall in the in the Iowa State running game enough. I think Grinch's secondary will play better than they did the first go around against Charlie Kolar. I think you're you're not going to see as many missed tackles, as many penalties as we saw in the four in the first meeting. And in this game, I just I, I don't expect OU to have uh, like I said, I, I don't expect them to have all the boneheaded penalties. I think they are going to be fundamentally sound. I think that they will have a little bit more success. Uh, in the past game against Brock Purdy. And like we said, having a defensive line with Ronnie Perkins in the lineup, I think that, that, that the pressure that they're going to be able to get on Brock Purdy in those third and long type scenarios, I think you could see Brock Purdy, you know, maybe throwing an interception or two, giving the, the, the ball to OU. Iowa State's going to make some plays, Adam. They're too good of a football team to not get theirs. And OU fans need to remember. Iowa State, they're the number six team in the country for a reason. This is a damn good football team that OU's lining up against on Saturday. I think that, um, and getting to my pick here, I think that Matt Campbell's done a masterful job with this group, but, but this is the biggest game in program history, and I think the lights are going to be just a little too bright for Iowa State on Saturday. OU's been here before. There's a reason why they've won 10 of these and why they've won 10 of these conference championships. They're, they're going to win their sixth in a row on Saturday. Oklahoma knows what it takes to win this game, so I'm going to lay the points here. I think OU covers the five and a half, and I've got them winning 38-27 in what I think is going to be the best game of the weekend in college football. Man, I like your score prediction a little bit better because uh, with mine, I think we'll be biting our nails and nervous the entire way. So uh, hopefully you're right on this one. Last thing before we get out of here, one of the talk, kind of the talk around the town right here in Norman on Sports Talk Radio is, do you do you envision any way in which this is a blowout type game, very similar to what we saw in Bedlam a couple weeks ago where OU jumps out to a 21 nothing lead before, honestly, Oklahoma State even knew what hit them? Do you think there's any chance that one of these two teams blows the other one out, or do you think it's going to be a tight, extremely competitive football game for four quarters? There's potential for that. I think back to the 2007 season where OU and Missouri had a really tight game in Norman and then rematched in the Big 12 championship game and OU just blew the doors off uh, Chase Daniel and the Tigers. So it's possible it's all going to hinge on whether, you know, Ramondre Stevenson and Ronnie Perkins make that much of a difference. And it's possible. I think we could see a situation where OU is able to just run the ball down uh, the middle of the Iowa State defense. It's very unlikely that that happens, but I think it is a possibility and, uh, and that's the only pathway that I see towards that uh, potential of a blowout necessarily. Um, and I think, I think the same could be said on the flip side too. If, uh, you know, Brees Hall comes out and he's able to just run wild, could be a blowout in the other direction as well. I completely, completely agree with you, man. Well, all right, well, let's get out of here, dude. Um, again, Sooner Cyclones for the Big 12 Championship down in Arlington on Saturday. Adam's picking OU 30-24. to I've got the Sooners winning 38-27. And again, what I think is going to be the best football game of the weekend in college football. Um, everybody be safe driving down this weekend. Give us a follow on Twitter at the Pod one Give Adam a follow at Adam Jacquez. 
and myself at Tyler Burton seven. And as always like, and subscribe our page. Appreciate you guys for listening. And we will be back right here again next week to kind of recap, look ahead to the bowl season, talk some college football playoff. Uh, now that the matchups will be set on Sunday afternoon. And again, just appreciate you guys listening and we'll be back next week right here on the mainline podcast.